to speak. You know, my where I talk from usually is in recovery, so I use that frame. And uh, in recovery, the word self isn't meant to mean the universal oneness. It's meant to mean, well, I don't know what exactly it means, but to me it means the sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And the sense is the real word about it, because the thoughts are just there to reinforce that sense. So the daily narrative, in a way, reinforces the identification as a self. The tricky thing with that, as most of you have heard, it's like the story about the lion and the sheep. You ever heard that old story about the lion and the sheep? It's an old Indian story, and in that story there's a a young lion and a mother, and the mother dies, and the young lion gets left alone and uh, doesn't know what to do. It's sort of scared, and then a sheep herd comes by, and it sort of tries to join the sheep herd. At first the sheep are a little worried because they see the nature of the beast. It's a lion, but the lion doesn't know it's a lion. So it starts, they sort of accept it somewhat into the sheep realm, and... uh, it tries to be the best sheep it can be. Yeah, it starts learning how to chew cud and ba and ba. There's an irritability restlessness in him because he's not a sheep. That's the dilemma. But he lives in the sheep herd for a few years and he runs around and they talk about who's going to be the next sweater and all this and he's very into it. <laughs> but there's something missing. There's definitely something lacking. <laughs> so one day this old lion comes into the field to look for some food and it sees the herd and it starts chasing the herd and then out of the right out of the periphery of his eye uh, vision he sees this young lion and it looks and he thinks the young lion lion is joining in the hunt but he soon recognizes that it's running away from him so he stops pursuing the sheep and he catches that young lion and the young lion rolls over and says please Mr. Lion don't eat me I'm just a humble sheep and the old lion's pretty perplexed by this, so he just grabs the, the young lion and drags it over to this pond of water. And he holds both of their heads over, and the reflections are there, and the young lion sees the reflection of the old lion, and it wakes up. Five, six years of being a sheep is erased in a nanosecond, because it's just a simple recognition. Now, mostly with this message, I don't know what others are doing, but in... in my little role, I'm just pointing out that you're a lion. But what I found out over time is, here's the message, you're a lion. And there it is, you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. And then it hits your ear, and it hits a sheep ear. And as soon as you hear it, it gets translated, and I can become like a lion. That is not the message to me. So I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion. And then it's heard... With the sheep conditioning, I can become like a lion. That's not the message. So instead of just inviting or delivering the message, you have to be like an ear doctor. You have to sort of see what's happening. Because as soon as, as, let's say the sheep get together and there's some young sheep, and the young sheep start feeling angst and irritability and restlessness and stuff, so what they do is they start looking for a different way of life. So they fall upon an old book about lions. And they read about lions and how they're courageous and they don't take any shit and anything like that. And I really like to be like a lion. All the while, 
that reinforces their sheep identity. So they start studying about lions, and maybe a couple of them share with others, and they get a little group like this, and they get pictures of lions, and they put them up on the walls, and maybe with some flowers and candles, and they start looking at Baba Lion and the other lions, and they... Um, and they're practicing roaring every Saturday morning, and they're doing, you know, lion stretches and stuff like that. And um, they're feeling quite noble because it seems like a noble thing for a sheep to do is to become like a lion. But the point is, they're a lion already. And so any, any act of becoming like a lion actually reinforce, reinforces the lie in the sense that you are a lion. And so most of us, you must have heard about duality and dualism, yeah, yeah, these are old pros here. In duality or dualism, there's, let's say, becoming like a lion, and then not becoming like a lion. But there's a fact that you're neither of those, yeah? So in, in effect, you're not the sheep, and you're not the sheep becoming like a lion. You're not even the lion, it's just a way of making a point. But the point is, if you try to live on as one side of the coin, you are at the effect, not you, but the mind is at the effect of the other side of the coin. It's an impossible escape. And so, with self, this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, it is a mental process. It's a product. I call it selfing, because it's a mental verb. The mind is selfing. And in that selfing, there's, it's, it, it makes up a sense that there's a noun. Because all there is is verbing. All there is is being going on. There is no noun that any being is happening to. And there is no divine being. Yeah? There's just being. So in that being, part of the expression of being is a mental process, and that process is selfing. And so the selfing is a verb, but it makes up an illusion that it's a noun. So out of this, let's say, ocean of verbing, there's an idea that crawls out, first to be an amphibian, and then to become a noun, on its little separate island, and it says, I am a self. Yeah? And as soon as the verb assumes itself to be a noun, it can never know the verb as a noun. It can never know the verb as a noun, because the nounness causes the whole sense of verbing to be neutered. So you can study about verbing, you can think you have 20 books about verbing, but the fact is, if you're entertaining it as a noun, that's all you're doing. What's truly being entertained is not the verbing, but the noun. Yeah? The verbing doesn't need to be entertained. It's what's going on. The noun is what your mind is constantly entertaining. So when it's confronted with a verb, it neuters that confrontation by being the noun that's now going to understand the verb. A noun cannot know a verb because it's missing the whole quality of verbness. Yeah? So self, to me, the idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity is a product of a mental process. Yeah? The mental process is making up this sense of being a self. And how can part of a product of a mental process ever get out of a mental process? How can self transcend the product? How can it transcend its own productness from the mental process? Yeah? It's a product of the mental process. How can it ever leave the mental process? Yeah? If there was a leaving of the mental process, you know, see? Yeah, yeah, exactly. People, in my view, when I'm working with them, they, don't, they really don't want to, 
They just want everything to get better, but just as they are. Yeah? They want to be just as they are, but they want everything to be better. But the point is, the way things are seen or perceived by you is based on what you're identified as. Yeah. So, the message in recovery is because there's so much suffering produced by... Because alcoholism and addiction is just an extreme example of self-centeredness. Everyone is suffering, in a sense, from self-centeredness. Yeah? Self-centeredness is a, a, th- a thought interpretive system. Yeah? Like when I was young, I didn't question the way I thought. There was thinking, and I thought that's the way it went. But all my thinking was based on how everything pertained to me as what I wasn't. That whole sense of how I looked at everything was how it pertained to me. So in that self-centeredness, there's a forgetfulness of what you are, and there's a, a habit of being identified as what you're not. Of course, a lion, no matter how great a sheep it becomes, is never going to be inherently happy as a sheep, because it's not its nature. Yeah? So for me, I used to live in Santa Cruz. I, man, I really did think some people who I knew me were going to come here tonight, but thank God he didn't. I used to live here, and I was taken over by that alcohol. I like to call alcoholism a parasite. Yeah? It's just a deep mental groove, just like self-centeredness, but it's more of a... It's an extreme case of self-centeredness. That parasite takes us over, and you have to admit, when you've been possessed and you've been possessed many times probably today, the taking over of oneself is a very hostile takeover. Yeah. Yeah? It's pretty damn hostile. And if you, if you had any wisdom that was available to you, you would throw off that parasite immediately. Yeah? Just based on the history that you had with it. And yet, the parasite, knowing this about its own little nature, that it's so hostile, has the greatest strategy of all. It's convinced the host that it's the host. So, self starts seeing self, but it sees it as self. There's no getting out of that. When the shit hits the fan, or it gets a little heavy, that philosophy isn't going to hold water. There's got to be a recognition of what's always obvious, and in that recognition, to me, it, it, it translates into a traveling lighter here. And that's the proof in the pudding for me, if you need any proof. To me, it's like Jesus, I don't know what he actually said, but supposedly he said, you know, you'll know the tree by the fruit. So I can never know what I am. It's impossible. I'd have to be something other too. Yeah? I cannot know what I am, but I know everything else from what I am. I can't know what I am, but I know everything else from what I am. That's why it's very difficult to recognize this nature, because it's impossible where you're looking at it from. Because if this is an object, and the brain and a mental process is an object, and it causes you to believe it's the subject, as soon as you become the subject, everything else here is cast into being an object. That's the rules of duality. So as soon as this object is is taken to be a subject, now I take the truth to be an object that I may want to know or not want to know. I immediately take enlightenment as an object that one day I'm going to get some and I'm going to put on my mantelpiece and I'll have a little date. This is when I know people who are on their third enlightenment here. 
They've been enlightened three times. How many times does it take? Seriously. They were like, they proclaimed their enlightenment, then they got another, like a turbo enlightenment, now they're their supercharged enlightenment. <laughs> Only yourself could entertain that. Only. Only yourself could entertain it. One wouldn't be enough. <laughs> this is like being freed from the need to be liberated. That's all it is, in my view. And it's, it's an all-terrain vehicle. It's an all-terrain realization. It doesn't change the geography of your life, but you'll travel lighter over it, no matter what it is. So if I'm going to get cancer as this body, that's what will happen. If I get fired or hired, that may happen. You know, I can't promise anything will change about your terrain, but you're going to travel lighter over it. Yeah? Not when you go on a retreat, not when you see the whatever, but now. Yeah. If, it's, if that isn't occurring, because truth has no value other than here. Does truth have value in and of itself? It already knows. There's no value in knowing the truth as truth. There's value in knowing the truth where the truth has been forgotten. That's all. It's very valuable here because in the dualistic constraint, you can travel heavier light. Yeah. So to me, it's much more preferable to travel light than it is to travel heavy. Yeah. And I found the best way is to give up who's the traveler. Yeah. Then I'm more in a position of neutrality. I don't have any desire to travel light, and therefore I do. And I have not much fear of traveling heavy, and therefore I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't. I'm joking with you. The whole point is, you have a narrative in your head. Get some humor out of it. I have like five comedy skits going all every minute. Every time I walk into a room, there's a whole different take on it. It's hilarious. I got. You're not going to amuse me, probably. I got to amuse myself. <laughs> I'm kidding you. But you know what I mean. I mean, see, yeah. There's a in 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 alcoholism, which is my forte, so to speak. In alcoholism, we have a something they call a blackout. Have you ever heard of them? Blackouts. People tend to have them. A blackout is when you don't remember what happened. Yeah. For maybe 12 hours or 15 hours, maybe three hours. People travel in a blackout and stuff. And when you meet the people who know you really well, they had no idea that you were in a blackout. Yeah? Because what I, my view of it is that something dropped your, your typical identification as a self, but another identification as self took over. And it's seamless. And actually that one did a better job with my life than the one that was usually here when I'm awake. This is when I got arrested most of the time. When I was in blackouts, I never got arrested. So actually this self was much more successful than this one the one that was running the show usually. But what occurs is there is a blackout where when the old self, whatever you want to call it, comes back again, it has to cover its tracks because if it acknowledges that there was another self than it, then there is no self. Yeah? So they, what it does is it blacks out the time period when the other self was running your show because you were buying tickets to you know, Santa, you know, San Jose, you were making deals, you were ordering food. You were talking to your best friend. You may have been even breaking up with your wife, and you don't have any memory of it. But there was something representing you for those 13 hours. But for this, like the Old Testament God, this self cannot brook another self before it. 
Because if there is the possibility of two selves, there is the fact there's no self. Yeah? <laughs> That's the whole point. There can't be one. The whole point of a self is that you are a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. One unit, yes? If you're a different unit for 14 hours, and then the other old unit takes over and keeps reinforcing the idea there's only one unit, obviously the evidence on the surveillance tapes would prove that there was two. And if there's two, there's none. Exactly. Well, they're not wrong, they're just not you. Yeah. So why not enjoy five? Why not? Your head, you're not going to change the narrating capability of the mind, are you? Have you tried? Its whole job is to narrate a life based on a self, so might as well have a few that can be enjoyable. So when you're walking around, I come here and I think, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I ran into all these people I owed a lot of money to in Santa Cruz? Am I taking that seriously? Obviously not, or I wouldn't have come here. That's the beauty of it. This thing should be, I don't know, to me, I like to travel light. I don't, sometimes it gets too serious. There's a lot of, you know, Advaita? Is that what you're into here? Advaita? Oh, thank God you're not into it. <laughs> that Advaita Pharisees, man, you know, the Pharisees of Advaita, where they want to get the words perfect, but they, they're not living the spirit of it. Yeah? Now they're making other people wrong for being, you know, whatever. I don't know, it's crazy. I've read, you know, there's websites, because um, I got thrown into this whole milu of Advaita, whatever it is, because I have a website. And so I started looking at other websites. I mean, unbelievable essays on non-duality. Yeah? And one topping the next and having a battle like a non-dual dueling, yeah, non-duality dueling. They were <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. Jesus, man. I'd rather just enjoy now, not to be right about now. Well, it never came to me. That's the point. I'd still be running around if I was waiting for it to come to me. <laughs> there was just a, I don't know what happened, to tell you the truth. I know what's happening, in a sense. I get an inter, to me, it intimates things to you. I never get any, I don't get a hit on it, I get an intimation by its moving. Yes? That's all. But I don't know, I, uh, I was really sincerely looking for it, and that was the best way to make sure I never found it, right? I was sincerely looking for something for ten years, and then I came to one of these talks, and the person shared a simple thing, and they said, listen, instead of looking for a new meditation technique, why not just see who's the meditator? So my attention and interest, which was always funneled by that doing and having modality, which is one of the best ways of hiding what's happening here, the direction of that doing and having changed, and I started just to entertain the idea of who's this doer. Not even self-inquiry, if you ever heard of that, but I just started to entertain. Yeah? And when I entertained, in other words, I opened up the room for something to show up, nothing ever showed up. And yet a whole lot was going on, but not, there was no one who was going on too. <laughs> and especially no, no one where it was going on from. Yeah. And so I was relieved of that burden of being a doer and haver. 
which is the branch all guilt and shame rests on, obviously. You have to believe you're the doer and have, a, to have any guilt or shame to entertain it. It's the, whole, the whole guilt and shame drops as soon as you entertain you're not the doer. And you can't entertain you're not the doer as a doer, entertaining it. That's the dilemma. Yeah. This doesn't, this cannot be convinced. Yeah? Because it's dualistic. It can be thoroughly convinced and a minute later it's not convinced. There's no stable convincing in something that's convinced and unconvinced. Yeah? It's a waste of time trying to convince what you're not to entertain that it's not. Yeah? It's just a recognition. For me, someone dropped the invitation on me and I entertained it. And then I entertained it and then something, something occurs and then you know the fruit, the tree by the fruit over time. You recognize what's happening. You don't get a set. You get a sense of it. That's all. The bondage to self is removed, and it's not self that's bonding you. It's your identification with the self that bonds you. It's just like a thought. No thought has any power to affect us. But you put the word "my" in front of it, it has a huge amount of power to affect you, doesn't it? If you came over to my house and you talked to me for ten minutes about all your thoughts that day, I'd be bored in probably a minute. Maybe less. I'd even do my laundry to get away from you. But I've been listening to the same thing for 50 years. What's the difference? I have immunity to yours because I see them as yours. I have no immunity to this because I see them as mine. Yeah? So there's thousands of thoughts, but they're held basically in only two ways. Either you hold them as, I'm the thinker of these thoughts, or they're about me. Yeah? When, that, when you're in that relationship with thoughts then they are my thoughts. Then your interest and attention gets captured. Yeah? And your interest and attention now gets directed by selfing. Yeah? And so, basically, the light that you are is what's driving you crazy at night. You go home, and your head just represents the day as if you could change it. And some people, it goes on for hours at night. The thoughts are just driving them crazy. But what's illuminating those thoughts to be noted is consciousness. The consciousness has been captured and hijacked and enslaved to the reinforcement of the identification as a self. Yeah? So, you and I here, conscious contact. Yes? It's conscious contact. Yeah? Conscious contact. Seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling. And you see thoughts, like the eye sees a bird. When you, If I was looking out this window and a bird flew by, I would see it. Now, my head may say, I didn't want to see that bird, but I saw the bird. Yeah? Seeing comes before the reaction of mind occurs. Yeah? So the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching is conscious contact. It's consciousness contact here. Contacting here. Yeah? It sees it, hears it, feels it, tastes it, and smells it, and stuff like that. So that conscious contact, the mental process reacts to that conscious contact, and it informs you that it's you that's in conscious contact. You is this. So every day, this is why the invitation is always there at all times, always available, because it's in the conscious contact. And that invitation isn't getting through because the mental process arises and says, I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching, I'm thinking. But in fact... It's a reaction to the conscious contact. You're not thinking ever. 
You've never had a thought. Yeah? You're not seeing either. You're actually taking the seeing and calling it looking. And then you suffer the consequences of forgetting the seeing, and you try to find new, new ways of looking here. All the, and, you, and you think the new ways of looking are great, they're improving your looking, but they're ways of being blind to the natural seeing. Because there's a you that's looking for. Like St. Francis says, what's looking, I'd rather use what's seeing, is what you are looking for. So the what's seeing is actually what's happening. How it's held by your head is you're looking. And it's holding it as you're looking causes you not to recognize seeing. As it is, as it's happening. Not seeing one day or in the future, but the act of seeing is constantly going on. That's all we are is seeing. Yeah? But when you become identified with the looker, then you're busy looking for what's looking. And so you go, okay, where? And you missed it because you think it's going to be in the looking you're going to see it. It's, it's in recognizing there is no looker and there's the seeing. Immediately. Not a practice to me. Not a practice. And not something that you can lose or get. See, to me, you're totally irrelevant. And that's the solution. It can't be it's simultaneously every moment, in a sense, because this is a dualistic appearance here, yes? The movement is you're either dying to the self or as the self. Every moment. That's the activity. It can either appear to be dying to the self, which is you're not, taking, you're not listening to the thoughts as yours, and they're not about you. You're hearing them because the consciousness is there, but you're not listening to them. Your interest and attention isn't wed to those thoughts, yes? Or you're dying as the self, which is you're taking the narrative in your head as God-honest truth. Yeah? So either every moment, so there's nothing that ever happened, it's either happening now, or it isn't, seemingly. And the fact is, the beautiful news is that it can only seemingly not be happening. That's the solution to it. Yes, it only seemingly. Seemingly is a word that means it, it appears to be true or false to you. So obviously, everything here is based on you, in a sense, but not the you that you think you are. I don't know what you are, but I know you're not the you you're thinking you are. Yeah, You could be a you. If there was a, defin a different definition of a you, you could be just that. But the definition we hold on to is not it. Yeah? Because that is pure now. It's extracted, it has extracted itself from the verbing of life and made itself the one that life is happening to. Man, you're in a lot of shit, though. Yeah? To me, life is happening. And, but the head is life is happening to me. Yeah? It's the same movement, but it's, it's the twist. Yeah? So life is happening, but then it's life is happening to me. Yeah? So your energy and attention... Life is happening. You're in conscious contact, and it's, go, it's meant to go like this. Not meant to. It's go, it has a nature to go this way. And then your head bends it and goes, it's happening to me. So instead of just having contact here, you're also reflecting on who's having the contact. Yeah? 
So you're in contact. See, the energy is going out like this, attention and interest, conscious is going out, yes? You're in, and that's one movement, but you have to remember, this is dualistic, this appearance. So that movement is matched with another movement, yeah? Yeah? So the attention is going out, meeting things five different ways, yeah? and it's going back. But what happens is, the ment- being identified as this, where it goes back to is the opaqueness of the idea that your mind has of you. Paul. So that's called, the attention goes this way and it goes this way, but instead of going into that space of whatever you want to call it, infinity or whatever, it hits a picture of you, a mental concept, and you go, okay, bing, this is, all this contact is about me. I am the ones in conscious contact, yeah? You're going to, the mind being such a small thing with so much juice on it is going to go is going to flip out. Right. It's going to be totally neurotic or whatever, like we do here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so I think like probably everybody knows too much like you know, the music. So how What do you mean? You no, 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 no. There was no one ever used to be anything. No, no, life is happening. It's not through me. There's no me for it to happen through. Um, let me, we have these words here. It's hard to think about. So, all of us have probably experienced like moments or hours or maybe even a day when we really felt like whatever words were like, it was like that we were really just using the word God, yeah, 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 yeah. what else to use. That God's moving through us. In other words, in, in those few days that I've had, only a few of them, life is beautiful. I mean, things just sort of happen spontaneously. And it's sort of like, kind of like a little bit of heaven on earth. But I don't know how I got how I got that, and then it went away. And I don't know how to get it. Thank God. <laughs> Literally. But I mean, no, but I mean, how did, this is, is this like a permanent thing with you? <laughs> I think it's permanent, period. I don't know about with me. I know, but well, that one time you said you, you drank and you were really screwed up, so somehow you screwed. No, see, to you tell you... You recognized life or something. I, I'm what I'll do is I'll try to... I'll say it this way. For me, I think I'm really... This is just a neutral interface. Okay. Yeah? And... Movements, or whatever you want to call it, express themselves through this. Now, alcoholism expressed itself through me pretty damn perfectly. I was a run-of-the-mill drug addict alcoholic. Yes? While you're the run-of-the-mill drug, drug, drug addict alcoholic, you're thinking you're terminally unique. This is one of the things that happened to me when I first went to recovery. Yeah? I came into meetings because usually you're only with people who are addicts and alcoholics who are active when you're out there. Yeah? You're not really talking about your heart much or feelings or anything. And when I came into this recovery place where they have meetings and where people talk about stuff and they share things and they, and they express uh, feelings. Yeah? Now, when I listened to all these people for the first month or two, because I was sitting in this sense of very terminal uniqueness. I thought no one had these thoughts. No one ever felt the way I felt. No one ever reacted to life like I did. 
And I was sitting in this incredible, I wasn't, but the head was twisted into that thing. And I was basically, what I am was totally forgotten in that occupation. Yes? I sat in these meetings that we have, and I heard people share their thoughts, you know, their feelings, and their reactions. And after a period of time, I came to two conclusions. Either these people got my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions, or they're not my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions. And one of the first major reliefs I got was when the my was dropped out of the thoughts. I just saw them as thoughts. First, I held them as alcoholic thoughts and addictive thoughts, but after a while, I just saw them as thoughts. Yes. And I, once, from that result and the freedom that ensued, when the my, which to me represents the act of identifying, that's all it does. It's not like you got tattooed with an identification. It's a, it's a verb. There's the act of identifying that makes up an illusion that you're a long-lasting historical action figure, yes, a continuum, which is totally bogus if you're awake for, you know, a half an hour during the day. You'll see there's like, <laughs> there's no straight line from when Paul Sapolis was born and now. <laughs> so I started holding it, and why by having the result of the effect, I could start sharing it afterwards. And I recognize the whole root of the verbal bondage, which is, that's what it is. It's not like someone tattooed me and I've been trying to, it's an act of mind all every moment. It's verbing, it's selfing. And in that selfing, there's a, your attention and interest get bonded and enslaved to highlighting the life as seen through self. Yeah? There's freedom from that when the my gets dropped out. So I saw the difference in thought and my thought. I saw the difference in problem and my problem. And know what I found? Very simply. Let's say there's a woman in the other room, and I was very interested in her. Yeah? Biblically, let's say. I'd like to go out with her and stuff. You know? I'm, I'm thinking of this woman, and I'm supposed to be at this meeting, let's say. And people are noticing I'm not really all here. And I know I should be here, but my interest and attention is trying to listen through the wall to see if she says anything about me that will give me a key if I should ask her or not. Because I definitely don't want to be rejected. You know, that would be the death of me. Yes? So I am there. I'm really keenly interested in it. And people are going, Paul, Paul, you're supposed to be doing this meeting. And I, you know, I agree with them, but I can't seem to, my attention and interest. But finally, I hear, she starts talking, and I hear her. So I'm really keenly, and I hear, and she mentions the guy's name, Matt. My name is Paul. And as soon as I hear that she's talking about Matt, I lose interest immediately. Immediately. I do not have to take workshops on how to lose interest in trying to hear, over, hear a conversation in another room. It's not a phobia anymore. I don't have to go to a therapist. As soon as it's not about me, I lose interest and attention. My interest and attention is freed, because you cannot lose interest or attention. You just lose it. You lose interest in that object that your attention and interest is being sucked into. You don't lose attention and interest. There's an infinite amount of it. Yeah? So, but as soon as it's not about me, my interest and attention is freed from that. Yes? And it starts living life from its point of view, which is not self-centeredly. Yes? So I am an expression of my interest and attention, as I always have been. What this is... My, this called my life is just an expression of the interest and attention. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, of course not. What? There is no who in the interest and attention. It's a movement. Yes? No, of course not. My in, no, but that's not the interest and attention. That was what was directing the interest and attention. I was I said how your interest and attention gets enslaved to a mental process is you're identified as that mental process. So you have a huge amount of interest in anything you think is about you as that. When you entertain it's not about you, your interest and attention, it's almost like this. You may think of it as gravity in a way. If you, you go to a cafe today, did you hear anyone complaining about gravity? You know, man, it was really heavy on my right shoulder. I'm really getting sick of this gravity, you know? Yeah, it's really freaking irritating me a lot. No. This physicality is constantly being impressed by this force called gravity, but there's no recognition of it. We're just walking around. So. <laughs> Thank if, if we actually, oh man, if we could actually interpret it as it was happening to me, we'd all be bitching about gravity. Everyone would be fucking, their whole life story would be based on gravity. Why I didn't get married was gravity. Why I didn't graduate was gravity. Some force, but so there's a force that we're not aware of, yeah? There's another force I felt, and that is this force of interest and attention, let's say. And the force of interest and attention is like a bloodhound in a way. If you know, if you ever seen those movies when they give a, a piece of the uh, the bad guy's fabric and the bloodhounds smell it, the bloodhounds never stop at every person they run by. They can run by 500 people. They don't take one second of stopping because they got that scent and they're going towards it. To me, interest and attention can be wed to whatever you believe to be you. So if there's if there's a belief that you're a body. And this, yes, this personality, this story of being a long-lasting historical action figure, your interest and attention is going to be wed to that. Yeah? It has nothing to do because it smells out whatever you, and there's no you, but whatever belief is in place, it doesn't mistake. You may have a philosophy, I'm not that, but your interest and attention has the smell. It only goes to whatever there is a recognition, recognition of is as you. That's what happens. Your interest and attention gets freed from the slavery to that idea of being you, and then it actually circulates in its own... Here you are again, yeah? You're, when you get up, you're out. Your attention is needing things. You know, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, da-da-da. And that other energy, the same movement is going this way, but it keeps hitting the opaqueness of your conceptual idea of you reinforced with this perception, yes? So you believe that self. And the interest and attention ain't leaving that as long as that belief is in place, yeah? No matter how many books you read, you may get it, like, broken off from it for a little while, but usually it'll be brought back to you. I was reading the book. I meditated. I went to that retreat. Yeah? This is about when you entertain, I'm not that, like in Taoism, they say, let the light, you know, turn the light upon itself. It's not talking about turn the light on you. Yes, as this. It says turn the light upon itself. The light of what? Attention and interest, yeah? So here's the light. So the light goes through this idea, this mental process, and goes 
to itself, yes? Which is not this. So now, the energy is going like this, and it's almost like a giant circle in a way. And that's the feeling of lightness. That's the sense of presence. The sense of presence is really your absence. That's all it is. When you're sufficiently absent out of your own life, the presence is what, quote-unquote, actively you are, if you want to put it that way. I mean, in all actuality, you are presence, because you're living as that. You're not living an interpretation that made the presence an absence and replaced it with you as the presence, as this body. There can't be two presences, yes? <laughs> if there's two presences, one's going to be absent, and the other one's going to be all your intention and interest is going to keep illuminating that presence that is truly an absence. Yeah? So for me, I was going to write a book, and it was going to be Life Without Paul. I thought it would be really nice, but, you know, I wouldn't read it, but no one else would read it. But that's the whole point of my life now. My... It's like when people used to tell me there was a great party. As soon as I got there, it sucked. Yeah. Anytime I arrived somewhere, it, you know. <laughs> but now, by my absence, I sense an incredible presence here. Yeah. What can you do? Yes. Well, it's a, it, yeah, it works in the body also, definitely. But like in, uh, in, in addiction or recovery... They say it's a two-prong. You have this physical allergy and the mental obsession. Yeah? But the point of where the relief is is at the mental obsession. Because that's what leads you to take the, the alcohol and the drug, yeah? which sets off the physical allergy. Yeah. So the defense against the first drink, to me, is just like it says in recovery, it's a psychic change. So what happened? what happened to the change? Your interest and attention got freed from being identified as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, reinforcing the identification. The interest and attention doesn't identify, in a sense. It's reinforced. Yeah? So when that's freed up, your interest and attention, it's like, for me, I'm like a free-range alcoholic now. Yeah? Before I had to be near the coop a lot and, you know, be supervised constantly. And now I can live life, run around, and, you know, doing that because... The psychic change occurred. It wasn't like there wasn't a psychic. The psychic change is just trying to paint a picture of something that is not an event. Yeah. It's like here. This is way a nice way I like to put it. Let's say there's a. Let's say we want to see the stars tonight. So I can't see the stars. I can see them barely. So what I do is I get a telescope that has a bunch of lenses. And if I look through the telescope, it facilitates the stars seemingly get closer. Yeah? It appears to me that they're getting closer. If someone looked at it happening, the stars have not come closer. But they seem to be closer to me when I'm looking through the telescope. Yes? What happens is here, let's say consciousness, and this isn't the truth, I'm just painting a picture. Yeah? Consciousness, to have this place be here, has to interface with it through a body. So the body is like the lenses of the telescope. So consciousness is looking through this body, and by doing this, it can experience itself as other. It can see, feel, taste, touch, and smell itself as other. So it's undifferentiated light coming in here and then getting broken up into differentiation. 
determined by the theme of duality. Yes? Yes, no, yin, yang, hot, cold, yeah? close, far, conscious, unconscious, all that. That's how it's broken up. So here's that light, which is what's looking, and for it to be looking for, it has to come through this. Because now oneness gets separated into two-ness. So this is the representation of two-ness. This is the vehicle for two-ness. The vehicle for two-ness would never be able to realize oneness if it wasn't oneness. It's the vehicle for two-ness, but what, what's being carried into two-ness is oneness. So at the same time you're the vehicle for two-ness, there can be a recognition of the oneness, not by the two-ness, though. Yeah? The oneness recognizes itself by seeing I'm not the two-ness. That's all it has to do. It doesn't go, I'm not the two-ness, and then I am the oneness. No. As soon as you get you're not the two-ness, that's it, in my view. And it's moment to moment. And if, if it's occurred, it may just, there won't be the moment to moment, but to the mind there's always the possibility that it's going to tell you you're far away from where you were yesterday. So I was so, felt so connected at the retreat, but now I'm at work and I'm feeling so far away. You were not connected by the retreat, nor are you far away. It's truly an optionless state. It's a choiceless state of consciousness. You may, your mind may not like it, but the fact is it doesn't matter because you're not the mind. Well, first of all, it's not your attention. Yeah? Of course, there's predilections based on the conditioning. Yes? But once there's a recognition, well, it's not once, because it's, not, it's always so. The brain is just set up that way. It's set up to represent. That's, That's exactly right. She says the way it's set up is we're meant to represent the tunis. But remember, we're not actually that. This isn't happening. This only appears to be happening through this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the... See, the whole point is, the great. that's why it's called a sense of self. A thought of self is pretty easy to have an immunity to. But the thought is not a thought. It's reinforcing a sense. You have a vague feeling, I'm Paul, as everything's happening. Yeah? Isn't that the case? When you go to sleep at night, don't you remember the room you're in? When you're sitting in there, I don't mean when you're asleep, when you're going to sleep, when your eyes are closed and you're not having any contact with it, but there's a remembrance that there's a room, yeah? That's what's happening all day. The whole apparatus is living on memory, yes? Every thought is the past. Every thought is representing. All day the mental process represents conscious contact as something other than conscious contact because it makes you the one that's in it. I'm the one that things are happening to, or I'm the one that's doing it. You miss the conscious contact. The emphasis is on me and the thing I'm seeing, but not on the seeing. You miss out on the the land vital of living, because you've made the verb of life, you've turned it into a construction of noun. <laughs> you just say whatever. I mean, I don't get into that. There is no me. I remember, I see people a lot. 
So I remember when they get into relationships, and then the, the girlfriend's really mad, and they go, well, there's no me. I didn't do that. You know, I didn't leave the dishes out. There's no me. And the girl says, fuck you. You know, this isn't it. That's not the, that's not the message. You can say whatever you want to say. It's not you saying it. Why would you want to be identified as a non-self as much as you thought you were a self? <laughs> you know what I mean? Really. Dualistically, it's self, and now that's not working well in certain areas and groups. And now it's, all right, we're going to become a non-self. It's neither of them. You're not the dualistic expression or the appearance. When... The ocean does not lose one drop when it's seen as low tide or high tide. It's the same amount of ocean. It's a perception that it's low because it seems to have moved, and then it's high. But that's just the appearances, yes? So it appears that you can be conscious or unconscious, but who does that appear to? The apparatus that can only see dualistically. Of course, it's the only way it can hold all there is is consciousness sometimes. <laughs> It can't hold it as an absolute. It has to have the opposite. It's defined by the system it's from. It, can't out th it cannot think outside the box of self-centeredness. It's a very crude, uh, simple, very simplistic sy system. It's binary. Either or, yes or no, blah, 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 future, blah, blah, blah. Everything else is moving, but this going... Yeah, but you're not that. Yeah. As long as as long as the addiction to me is in the my, not the thoughts, the my, the act, of the the identification as the thinker of them or about or they're about me. That's the dilemma. Yeah, because thoughts don't have any power except when you think they're yours. A thought. Let's say a thought of yours ran through my head. It would be, it would, its nature would be to come and go, yeah? That's what it does. I, I can't see a thought coming, you know, all right, there's a thought from San Jose coming, it's, it should be, you know. No, I have no, it just appears, and then it disappears. What happens is, when it appears, if it's held as another thought arises, but you don't see it as a thought, because it's like a feeling, I'm the thinker of it. Yeah, so here you see, the consciousness sees the thought, but right underneath the lens is these two old ideas. I'm the thinker of it, or they're about me. That's the bonding, not the thoughts. The bonding is that. Yeah? They, exactly. Exactly. Just like the idea of a self is a thought, that now is claiming all the other thoughts as the, I'm having them. A thought is claiming other thoughts as I'm having those thoughts. So in your story about the lion and the sheep, the sheep is the thoughts, or the mind, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then the lion is she awareness. Yes, and, and the sheep has concepts of what it's like to be a lion. Yes. But it can only be approached by becoming. Because the system cannot make the jump out of the system. Yes? Yes. A product of the system believing I'm this entity, or a sheep, cannot leap over that fence and run around with the lions. It ends in that system. There is no sheep. 
That's the solution. To me, the best way to get out of something is realize you're not in it. Yeah? I don't know. No idea what realizes it. Sorry, you can't. No, literally, I'm not joking. You can't experience it. It's like you must have heard, it's not an experience, obviously. Experiences come and go. If you could experience it, it wouldn't be worth coming here to hear about it. You don't experience this every day. The context. I, I know that we're in this box that we have to... I'd like to free myself of it, you know, to get out of the box. I mean, I understand what you're saying. No, but you don't need to get out of the box. It's a recognition that there isn't a box. That's getting out of it. What you would call getting out of the box, how I see it is recognizing there isn't a box. That's what I think people mean by getting out of a box. That feeling or that experience of being out of the box... How it translates to me is, I was never in the box. See, because if I believe, if I'm having the experience that I got out of the box, and there's the belief in that there was a box, I am definitely going to have an experience, I'm back in the box. Yeah? And then, there'll be the seeking engine will get turned on, and you will try to get out of the box again, only because you'll flip the one side of the coin, and with all your effort, you'll try to live on that one side, but it doesn't go by that rule. It flips over. So now you'll be back in the box. So to me... So then why doesn't, seeing we know all this, we, we, we're listening to you, and we, I think most of us understand what you're saying, but we're wondering, or I'm wondering, I want to live like you're living. You don't know how I'm living. It could be terrible. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I can't even get here on time. <laughs> Could I possibly be? Okay, well, what I'm saying is that there's some people that, that it doesn't happen spontaneously or it just doesn't. No, this isn't happening spontaneously. What I'm trying to say is right. so meditation doesn't help because I feel like it's sort of. What well, does it? Does it help you? Yes. Then do it. Not in the long run. I mean, it, it's starting to help me get out of my. Hey, no, see, if the not in the long run is, has been learned, you know, about meditation, I, if, and yet meditation seems to be working for you now, do it. If you feel like you have free will, exert it. Yeah? What I mean is that it's helping me get out of the nightmare. Far out. I'd leave here and meditate now. Seriously, I'd support you meditating if that's what's happening with you. I don't know any other way to... Yeah.
talk a little bit about um, your view on the 12 steps and whether, and whether they whether they're kind of functional in this or work with you. Or yes, it, it matters who's there. If there's a sense of being a you, and that sense of being a you is an expression of alcoholism, it's a damn good idea to do the steps. See, because a lot of times people, and they ever hear of the Course in Miracles? Course in Miracles, they used to talk about level confusion here in this appearance. In other words, people get confused about levels. So let's say they hear a really beautiful philosophy, but they're really having a deep experience that they're getting burned by the house that they're in that's on fire, you know? They've created another fire, supposedly, in their life, and they're getting burnt. But they've got a philosophy that says there's no one to be burnt, and you know, their skin is smelling, but they're totally denying what's happening. Yeah? They're, they're confusing a level. Yeah? If you feel like it's a nightmare, do something about it. If I believe, if someone calls me and says their house is on fire, I tell them where the nearest pail of water is. Yeah, and then when the fire has cooled off, maybe we'll sit down and we'll entertain the possibility that there's a fireless state. Yeah, but when the house is being burnt down and they're burning, to, for me, I'm not going to go. Well, there isn't a you. Yeah, that's the truth, but it's not going to be applicable at that point. So here's where a pail of water is. Yeah, go get it, use it. So if you think you did it, then you must believe you have free will. No, exert it to do something else. If your whole story about your life is you put yourself into this mess, there must be a real strong sense of being a doer and haver. What is that but free will? Exert it then. Get up and go get a pail of water. There is no self. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> this idea of I don't, I'm, I'm not going to meditate anymore because I heard that meditation doesn't lead to anything. Who's that? And the one before and after. Well, I know before and after, but I don't experience it. Always. Well, the idea of knowing, you have to, too. This is another thing. Our way of knowing is based on the system of self-centeredness, yeah? Our way of knowing always throws what we want to know as an object to our subjectivity. This sense of knowing is not the way we're used to knowing. It's a, it's a knowing prior to the formalized knowing we know as self-centeredness, yeah? which is, I'm the subject and you're an object, I'm going to get to know you as the subject to your object. Bring me the truth, I'm going to know the truth as an object to me. Yes? This is inevitable. If the system of mind is on, which it always is, and it's not about shutting that down, it's recognizing there isn't a you that's doing that. Yeah? I don't know what it is. See, the thing of all I want to say, this has nothing to do with meditation for me. My little message is just an invitation. And you're not going to get rid of self, in my view, because that would mean it had some relevance of reality to get rid of. Yeah? To me, this is the best way out of some... See, this is my humble view. 
if you want to hear a view, and it's also about the steps. I'll try to get into that. My humble view is this. People are busy trying to get something constantly. They're constantly trying to apply solutions to a problem. Now, that's all well and good, unless the problem is imaginary. If the problem is imaginary, every time there's an application of solution to it, you're giving it the reality that it so, de- so desperately needs to have an effect on you. Yeah? So, to me, it's when you believe the problem is real, you better find some solutions out here. This is not going to work for you, this message. It's not. You're not going to, it's not going to make you have a better life. It really isn't. It's not about that at all. It may, as a byproduct, you may get a little bit lighter, but that's not its point. The point is that if the problem is imaginary, yes, that's all I need. That is the true solution, is the recognition that the problem is imaginary. It's not an application of a solution. It's a recognition of the problem as imaginary is what I would think you mean by a solution. I don't mean a solution applied to a real problem. My solution is that the problem is imaginary. To me, it saves a huge amount of time because it's instantaneous. It's applicable right now. I don't have to buy a seat or anything. I don't have to sign up for a meeting or a retreat. It's constantly applicable every moment. Because the problem that would cause it to be something I had to do or get has been seen to be imaginary. So there's no distance between me and, quote-unquote, the solution. Except the imaginary distance of me believing in an imaginary problem is real. Oh, good, good, good. We have to go now, but thank you. No problem. And we'll get on the 12th step. Let me just go with this a little bit, too. So, so the view for me, yes, with the 12 steps. The biggest thing I see, first of all, the admittance of powerlessness, which is a very big aspect of recovery. My experience in the admittance of powerlessness is when I am in the admittance of powerlessness, I never experience powerlessness. It's only when the selfing exerts power that's not its own that I experience powerlessness because people don't do what I want them to do. I get mean and vindictive because no one's listening to me the way I want them to listen to me. So, but every time I stay in the admittance of powerlessness, as this... This thing, we want to call it selfing, yeah? As long as I'm in that admittance of palaces, I experience power constantly. Yeah? To me, that's the essence of the whole 12 steps, is the problem was powerlessness. We didn't have any power. We always tried to exert power, which actually exasperated the condition of powerlessness. We've taken another approach. No, admit your powerlessness, and that's power. Just like when people come in, and they, just, they use the same old modality of, I, I'm going to learn how to deal with this. What happened with me was, it was in the admittance that I can't deal with life on life's terms. I cannot deal with it. It overwhelms me in a couple hours in my head. So my solution was not to learn how to deal with it. It was to admit I can't deal with it. Then, somehow it was dealt with for the next 22 years. That's it. You think it's paradoxical only from the view of a point of wrong thinking. Self-centeredness is a bogus, simple, very archaic system of thought. And communication and knowing. It's bogus. 
In recovery, it says, the major also thing is, why we have so much anxiety right now? He says, why do you have so much fear? And thank God he doesn't let you tell why, because it would be a novel, you know. He says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So, our whole dilemma here in our traveling in this life is we're relying on something that's unreliable. Our, our attention and interest has been enslaved to an unreliable system of looking at life from the point of view of being a self. And we're just suffering the calamities that that produces, and we're trying to seek solutions in the same system to what the, the problem comes from, the solution, where the solutions come from. They're from the same barrel. Yes? <laughs> You're suffering the problems of self-centeredness, and now you go to self-centeredness to give you a solution to it. So in recovery, we seek a power greater than self. Yes? And in that power greater than self, the power greater than self, then we have the solution to what? Being enslaved to self. Because if you've been taken over by something, if you actually truly believe you're a self, and let's say self-centeredness is a system of thought and interpretation, almost like a parasitical system, it takes this opportunity for life to come through here, and it puts canals and spigots, and it changes what goes on. It interprets life and turns into, it's all about me, yeah? That parasite, if you're identified as it, no matter how bad it gets, you will never be able to entertain being free of it. You'll entertain, I can get therapy for it. You can entertain, I can socialize it. Maybe it'll let me enjoy the next barbecue I go to without throwing a fit. Maybe I'll have a relationship longer than a month one time in my life. But you'll never entertain being free of it because you're identified as it. There's a thing I use, I hope you get this, you don't mind in the recovery, I like to explain, explain it this way. One of the main parts of recovery is we do an inventory, yeah, in our lives. We look at resentments, which means to refeel something, which is all self-centeredness is, is a rehashing or a representing of life. So every time you run into a situation in life, all you do is refeel something that never actually happened anyway, yeah? So... We do an inventory on resentments, fears, and harming other people. And we look at our sexual behavior to see how our desire for sex hurt people. Not just the ones we had sex with, but like if I slept with some guy's wife, then I hurt him and his kids. Yeah. So we take a look at it. And right before we do this inventory process, it has a statement. It says, being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. Yeah. So being convinced that self manifested in various ways, meaning it appears in various ways, is what has defeated us. So he separates the two. And how I was defeated by self, just like if we talk in this room, if it was a recovery meeting, and I asked, what defeated you? We'd all have the same answer. Yeah? And it wouldn't be self, it would be myself. Everyone would say, myself has driven me crazy. Myself has driven me Maybe I was with someone, they, their self may have drove me crazy for a year or something, but this one's been driving me crazy forever. Yeah? The my, the act of identification, that's what defeated me. So being convinced that self manifested in many various ways is what has defeated us, we will now look at its, meaning self's, common manifestations Yes, in our life. So... When we look at fear in our life, or anxiety, or resentments, and harming other people, what I see it is, is we're truly looking for self's expressions in our life. Not our expressions. 
we call the resentments ours and the fears ours and the acting out ours because we're identified as self. But they're actually the parasite expressing itself into life through us. And how it has caught Blanche access into life through us is we're identified as it. That's the solution that the steps to me point that all the steps point out to that. First, they will enable to clean up some of the mess so some of your interest and attention will be freed. And so that interest and attention can entertain what you're not and what you are, finally. Or in the 11th step, you'll have a, the 10th, what is the 12th step, you'll have a spiritual awakening. You'll just wake up to your true nature. That's all. It's not an event or an experience unless there's a you that thinks it's the one that's waking up to the spiritual experience. If it is, that spiritual experience won't hold water during the day. It'll come and go. And who will tell you if you're in a good fit condition or not is your head, yeah? So the problem will tell you how good you're doing with the solution. Fuck. That piece has no value because it doesn't last. It's based on conditions. And who's calling the shots is the head. So what's the value of taking responsibility? To free you up, your interest and attention that's being spent holding back all those things you feel really bad about that you did. You know how much, I'll give you an example of a simple one. This is recovery, but it's used, everyone has it, yeah? I used to rob this store when I was living in North Beach, San Francisco. I was living sort of like one of those type of lives. I didn't have much money, and whatever money I had, I had to go to drugs, yeah? So I used to wear this long jacket, and I'd walk in this market called Rossi's Market. I'd steal two 16-ounce two, two beers, you know, stick them here, and I'd put a steak or some other kind of edible food in there in my back, and I'd leave. And I never got caught. I did this month after month while I was living there. Then I got sober. Yeah? And any time, and if you've ever been to San Francisco, parking spots are very valuable, yeah? And North Beach is incredibly bad to park. And any time I went to North Beach, I made sure I never went near that market, Rossi's Market. Yeah? I wouldn't even park in front of it if there was a space. Yeah? So... And I just avoid it at all costs. And after a few months of this, every t- and not when I, when I wasn't at Rossi in North Beach, it didn't seem to come up. But as soon as I got to North Beach, Rossi Market came, became a big deal. Finally, I said, I'm going to go in there and see the manager. And I'm going to make an amend. I'm going to give him some money and tell him what I've been doing. So I did. Went up there, one of the cash checkers said, hey, he's up in the office. I went up there. I said, hey, I used to live in this neighborhood. I'm in a program of recovery now. I stole a lot from you. Here's 55 bucks. That wasn't even, owed him a lot more. The guy was sort of surprised, and he took the money. I left Rossi's market, and I never thought of it again. Yeah? My interest and attention was totally freed up from it. Totally freed up from it. It's very difficult to entertain what you're not if you're busily managing what you're not, hiding what you're not, having secrets about what you're not, fears about what you're warranted. Resentments about what you were, all your interest and attention that could be, you know, just ringing the bell of the obviousness of this moment, of listening to these old echoes, thinking it or not, that attention and interest is enslaved to keeping what the mind doesn't want to be up, not to be up. You're paying so much money for storage and all this bullshit. That's what, I, that's what I say. That's the point of being accountable. There's no point other than that. It frees you up. 
And I don't care who you are or think you are. Your system believed, if you believed you were the doer there, there's guilt and shame around it. You may not be feeling it, but it's, it's occupying a lot of space. I don't know. I don't think you can you can uh, make it up. See, like the the experience of surrender in recovery is a big one. Uh, surrender had to happen to me. I had no idea what surrender was. I could have been run over by cars twice in one night. I've been shot at. None of that made an impression. But it was at a regular day at the office, just trying to survive that day, that I had what I would call a surrender. It just came. A portal opened up and the, the selfing stopped for a couple of minutes. I mean, just came to a halt. And what it had been denying just crashed in on me. It was like a CNN news flash. And it was a simple, not a, head, not a story, just a headline. And that was, I'm fucked. And everyone who knew me knew I'd been screwed for a while. But it was like news to me. Yeah? And it just caved in on me. And from that point on... No, there's no achievement. Jesus Christ. If I achieve something, the first thing that happens is you're gonna, you'll entertain it. You can lose it. You have to realize if you believe you attain something, the first thing the head, the dualistic head, will do is, well, if I did something to get this, I can do something to lose it. That's why choicelessness becomes an option based on this thing playing God. So peace will come randomly when it wants, and but then it always has the exit plan. It doesn't mind peace happening every once in a while. It's the consistency, the constancy of the truth it's afraid of. You'll have peace. Yeah, have a little peace. But it won't be peace prior to that understanding of peace and chaos. Yeah? This is it. You just There's different modalities that can express. I don't, you know, different modalities can express through this apparatus. It doesn't have to just be self-centeredness. As soon, it's like most of us, our antenna is just picking up K-Paul all day. You know, just 24-7 K-Paul. It's fucking crazy. That antenna has the ability to receive transmission. It doesn't have to be stuck on K-Paul. Yeah? It can open up. Your attention and interest is like a welcome mat to unbelievable juice. Yeah? But if it's enslaved to being a self all fucking day and being right about it, and in hoping someday it will be that specialness will deliver the goods. <laughs> Instead of universal love, I just want to have a special love with one other person, exclude everyone else. You know? I mean, how long have you been hold on, holding out to be special? <laughs> no, I don't know what happened. I really don't. But I know what's happening now. I don't know who it's happening as or to, but I have a sense, an intimation of what's happening. And it's definitely not what's appearing to be so. No way. I like that it can receive either way. More than either way. Yes. Oh, yes. That's right. The seeing is in place. The looking is really a form of blindness. Because really, when you're practicing these forms of looking, you're actually 
reinforcing the idea that you're blind to what? The natural seeing. Why would you want to look a certain way if you were seeing? But the seeing is, see the, why it's hard to recognize it, because it's clothed in looking. Yeah? So it has the sense of seeing, but it's been distorted. It's been, it's been uh, obscured. So you're busy looking, which is fueled by seeing. There would be no looking for anything unless there was consciousness. But the consciousness isn't, being, isn't noticed. If it is noticed, it's noticed that I'm conscious, which isn't noticing it. See, it's hard to use these words because we have a subjective language used by objects. All these objects that we are are, used, are speaking subjectively, as if I'm the doer and haver and I'm the one that notices. But let's just say there's noticing. Yes? There's the noticing of consciousness. There's no one that's noticing the consciousness. No, we don't, it's, it, that's its natural move is to look back, but what it's being wedded to is an idea of you. Yes? Based on being a body, but based on being formed. They're seeing the energy, everything is dualistically appearing here, in a way. Yeah? So there's always two, there's movements, one and this way. So the energy is, this is just its nature here, in appearance, yeah? But what's happening is, instead of letting it go uninterrupted, we're, we're bringing this big billboard with our f- smiley, happy face on it. It's all about me. And so the attention hits that, and so it's called the loop of self-importance, yeah? So... Tension moves out here, but this attention isn't freed up. It gets it gets aborted if by its following its natural, let's say, natural trajectory, which is infinitely. It stops here, yeah, and then and then when it moves through, it feels good. This doesn't. This is obsession. When it stops at Paul, that's what that's obsession. All that interest and attention is too much for this thing to handle. You and it's like living under a spotlight every day. You flip out. You ever see when you were a kid, you were wanting to look at the back of an insect, so you'd get a magnifying glass, and by mistake you'd burn them. While you were looking at them, you'd be killing them. <laughs> because the sun was being amplified, and the poor bug couldn't take it. That's what attention and interest coming through the magnification of selfing is burning you freaking up as this. The thing that you cherish, you're killing it with your attention. <laughs> Yeah? Just kind of burn up and it'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't wait hoping for that. No. Well, were you? I don't have any memories, so I guess I was. I don't know. I don't know. They say that. Yeah, but it, thank God it's in the mental process. It's not you. 
See, you're not the mental process. You're not a product of the mental process, and you're not what's at, at the effect of the mental process. Your attention is just captured by the mental process. So it's giving it all the life it seems to have. At that time, yeah. Something like that. The apparatus has its own conditioning, as you know. When the body, the body, the name and form of this place is tattooed all over. You have predilections and this and that. But that not that doesn't it doesn't leave one anything that ever happens here as this doesn't leave one mark on what you are. It's like the it's like that old idea of the sky. Yeah, the sky's there. And you never hear planes when they're in there going, hey, uh, I, I just ran into some sky, you know. No, the planes just move through it, everything like that. Clouds are appearing. Fourth of July explosions don't rip it open. All this stuff happens in it, but none of it affects it. Yeah? The sky is that empty space. Yeah? We give it a name called sky. It's not affected by what appears in it. But our attention, when people say, oh, did you see the sky today? They're talking about the clouds. They're talking about appearances. The mind is conditioned to attend to name and form. It doesn't sense the space or the context of all this. It only emphasizes the content because you have been taken to be the context as a content. You've been taken, this is all of it, me, this content. This is part of the soup. Yeah? But so you don't get the sense of the sky. You, your attention goes to clouds and Oh, that pattern and what that means when this is happening, this and that. And, yeah. Oh, I love those explosions, but the sky is unperturbed by all those events. Yes, you are that. You're more, that, you're more of that nature than anything that's appearing as here in name and form. You know, it's, it's like that attention, that, it's not like you have to do anything. That's why I love an imitation. You already know. This is just entertaining something. It may be... The envelope may be words, but that's not the message. The message like, you know, you've been served tonight, a spiritual subpoena. You've been served, man. See what happens. You may like it to be served some other way. Go see them. Who cares? Yeah, this is this has just been a servant. There you go. You served the spiritual subpoena. I thought this was a self-served cafe. <laughs> Jesus. This is all they gave me. I had to bring it with me. It is a self-served cafe. So I'm done, eh? Yeah. Oh, no. You have any questions? More yeah, questions? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can go five more minutes. How can we? All right. All this, you know, it's like, to me, the head is like a lazy Susan. And we're just putting, a, like, a napkin in. And hopefully there'll be one that has an open slot. So hit, it gets in there. That's all an invitation is. And to me, I like repetition with this invitation. Because you never know when it's going to be received. But it's not the envelope. It's the energy. Yes? The energy. And entertaining isn't thinking about it. Nor studying it. It's sort of entertaining. Like, something came in. Somebody said something novel. And you just, you don't go home and cut it apart. And, you know... You just sort of sit, see what happens. And then, to me, the whole point was to recognize what you're not. There's nothing more you need to do. Because you already are what you are. 
So when you recognize what you're not as what you're not, instead of taking it to be you, that's it. And it translates into an easing comfort now. It doesn't matter if we'll be there later or was there ten years ago. Who cares? There wasn't ten years or later. Now. And if the consistency of that nowness of ease and comfort, then you're on to something. Yeah. You don't have to read 800 pages of scriptures. You, you, have, you, you, know, you can know in your own gut you're awake. That's what happened with me. When I heard it, it was like the last, it was like an unspoken yes. I was busy looking for it. I couldn't see it, you know. <laughs> Someone finally sort of offered me like an invitation like this, and it was like an unspoken yes. I heard it, I just got it in my gut, and that was the, to this point, that was the last answer. That was it. It was a while ago. Just I have no new downloads have happened. I haven't gotten a new supercharged answer. It was just the same thing. You know, so I like the approach, if there is any, not to try to entertain what you are, but to realize what you're not. And to me, that's the entertaining of what you are, is when you realize what you're not. Because what you are is always so, but you entertain it then. When you stop entertaining what you're not, you'll be entertaining because your ability is to entertain. Yeah, We entertain possibilities, don't we, all day? The one we entertain are all produced by a very small system of possibilities called self-centeredness. So what we do is we just re, we redo them. So instead of one fairy princess, there's been seven, let's say, or maybe one knight on shining armor on a white horse, there's been eight of them. Maybe instead of one marriage, five times I've been married. So we just keep redoing the same limited possibilities. There are a lot of possibilities when your antenna is freed from Cape Hall. Literally, a lot of possibilities. Not that you'll be okay later now. Yeah? That everything's quite okay now. And it doesn't have to be based on what you're perceiving, because you realize perceiving is just seemingly so or not so. It's all contrived. This is my second meeting today. I'm ready to fucking fight somebody. Come on. <laughs> you ever go to the website, Zen Bitch Slap. Why See, I, I wouldn't care why it is that way, but if I recognize it is, I'd be coming here. You know, I mean, to me, what happened to our ability to recognize what's cool? You know, why is it always, why do we have to look for other authorities? Don't you know, like something, hey, this works, okay. Embrace that. Oh, I should let me study it more. No, hey, don't let me should go, right? Hey, dance. You know? Do I have an email list? And if we, would, would you, if people put their emails on a piece of paper, would that be useful for you? Oh, yeah, email? sure, you can do that. Okay, so yeah. on the way out of You'd have to ask there, me to come back. I, you know. I think you should ask them to come back. Yes, there are two cards between self-centeredness and self-esteem to really decide whether I want you to come back. <laughs> My fate is in your hands. <laughs> Thank you for accepting my invitation. 
bless you. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, if you want, we can talk more about the things, too. Yeah, I don't mind. Oh, you're welcome. It's nice to see you. No, no. We're going to drive home. I'd like to, but my girlfriend came. Hey, nice. what's your name? John. John, nice to meet you. Oh, we want to Oh, yeah. Okay, let's see. No, we're going to drive home. Anyway, you know, I think the swell may be better when I went over the
picture of this. Workshop.